So I think we've started the show. You might as well kick it off, David. Okay, so this is an episode of Madcap DC. We have, say your name. Alona Minkowski. Is that the true pronunciation? I feel like I watched something on C-SPAN when you were like, everybody butchers. Well, I mean, do you want me to go into the whole story of the, of yeah, the yeah, Russian yeah. name? Yeah, bring it. Well, sure. introduce your co-host first. <laughs> my <laughs> my <laughs> bad. <laughs> I'm here with Daniel Bloom. Hello. That's enough. Go ahead. Hello, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> nice to have you here, Alona. So the story of your name. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, my real full name in Russian is Yelena Leonidovna Minkovskaya. And then Alona is say a nickname. Again, say that again. <laughs> Yelena Leonidovna Minkovskaya. Alona is a nickname for Yelena, and then non-Russian speakers can't say Alona properly, so it's just Alona. So you're trying to Stick help us it. out like by two <laughs> levels, and people still can't get it. Um, yeah, what are you going to do? Okay, I got you. Maybe it's the spelling. It's the there's, Cyrillic. There's a Y in there. I was saying, I was saying Alona for like... That's what, that's what I was saying. I was like, Aliona. Then I heard you say, you don't like when people say that. So I was like, you know, let me let me step back. Yeah, here. just stick with Alona. Yeah, all right. <laughs> got it. Okay, that's good. So <laughs> you mentioned your show, 6 to 7 a.m.? No, p.m. 6 to 7 p.m. Okay, cool. Yeah, right. I am not a morning person. I would never do a 6 to 7 a.m. show. And you're on RT. I'm on RT. Uh, so it's uh, Monday through Friday. Been doing the show about two and a half years. That's awesome. How did you get into it? Um, Kind of accidentally. I guess you could say. I, mean, I was always interested in journalism uh, when I was in college, and then I graduated right about that time when you realize that there's just no jobs left out there for anybody who wants to write, mm -hmm. and the economy had just crashed. I graduated in 2008, and so it was a little tougher than I expected. When what did I you want to write? What type of pieces? Um, well, obviously, I want to do what every young idealistic college uh -huh. kid wants to do is just travel the world and get to write about it. Okay. I still want Anthony Bourdain's life. Food. Like if I, I was going <laughs> to ask you. So it's about food, if too. If I had one it? thing <laughs> yes, I could do in this world that seems lovely, it's just to travel the world, eat everything that I want, and then get to you know write and film about it. Okay. Anthony Bourdain is... He's, he's got he's a got lovely it. He's life. got it going on. He's the prototype. <laughs> I want that life. Just gets drunk in all these cities. <laughs> yeah. But um, you know, but you get sucked into the politics thing too. And so living here in uh in DC now suddenly I love it. I never thought I'd be on TV. I never thought of doing broadcast journalism and then it just kind of becomes this this beast that you have to keep on mm -hmm. feeding. So you mentioned you're from California. Yeah. So how'd you end up in here in DC? Um so, so okay, I moved here for the job. And while I was still in college, I had interned at RT for mm -hmm. like a week, one summer uh, that I had been in Moscow and didn't really think much of it again until I graduated and started looking for work. And at that point, I realized they'd open bureaus in the U.S. because I wasn't trying to move back to Russia. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, a couple, what is it, emails, phone calls, interviews later. And so they hired me as a producer and then... It really just moved very, very quickly from there. It was a tiny operation when I started, about five people. Within six months, we'd expanded to our huge bureau where we are now. And so within those six months, it just moved very quickly to, you know, a month after me being a producer there, my boss pushed me on air and said, go do a live shot. It's inauguration day. And I shook for like two hours. Whoa. <laughs> and then I was a reporter. And then, um, and then the, you know, they put enough faith in me to give me a show. What was that first Which episode I thank them like? for. A disaster. <laughs> it was the last time you watched it. Welcome to the Alona Show. I'm Alona Minkowski, and this is episode one of a brand spanking new experience coming straight out of Washington, D.C. Now, I'm not from here myself. I came out from California to really take a fresh glance at the Beltway politics, to really see how things work around here and try to stir it up a little bit. Ladies and so gentlemen, what you can't on, see is Alona Minkowski gesticulating like crazy. 
in the first episode of The Alona Show. What on earth is she doing? If you're sick of dancing around all of the real issues, then The Alona Show is the place for you. Oh, I, I never want to watch the it last, ever again. I, I already I hate it. watching myself as is because I hate the sound of my own voice. Oh, really? But, yeah. yeah oh, you have a nice it. voice. You're, well, you're well, on radio, thank you. so thank that's you. good. I hope <laughs> you might as well like the sound of your own voice. It's in your earphone right now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little a weird. Yeah, okay. it's a little weird, but uh, I hate listening to myself, and so I really try not to go back and rewatch the show. Maybe I should, so I can actually, you know, fix certain problems. That but I you have. don't mind watching yourself. It's the listening that bothers you. Yeah, that's interesting. Does that make me vain? No, that's a good thing. <laughs> no, that means you're comfortable in your own skin. Okay. But, it, but it's good, especially to, if you're interested in expanding out into this wonderful medium of radio, it's good. It's a good tool with which to get comfortable with your own voice and to lay out your thoughts in a way that could be pleasing to others or perhaps even to yourself. Very true. Very true. Well, see, this is why I, I write my material. Yeah for my show ahead of time. I mean, mm-hmm. not the interactions that I have with the guests when, we, when we're doing interviews, but some of these monologues. Because otherwise, you hear how I am now, where I just rant. I just keep going, and then it makes no sense, and so I need to write these things out. These monologues. You had a pretty powerful one yesterday. Ha! Powerful. Vaginas! Yeah. Vaginas! <laughs> tell us about this. Which leads us to the tell, subject tell of Tell us about the cave of mystery. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the other lawmakers would have been more comfortable if she had called it, I don't know, her crotch. But JJ, who hot, dusty muffin, the cave of mystery, the land down under, squiggly bits, twat, cooter, beaver, fish lips, pink taco, bearded clam, camel toe, muff, snatch, love button, pooter, box, flower. Maybe then they wouldn't have pussyfooted around the issue. Then let's be honest, those types of terms are the ones that might be considered offensive, too much for mixed company, but not the actual word that a doctor uses when he talks to women about their reproductive health. And this is, of course, why... I, you know what? I had, um, it was my producer, Christine, who was writing that story, too, and so she threw in some of these cave of mystery, whatever, that I didn't even know That's my of. favorite one. Uh, <laughs> props to Christine. I've never even heard of that. It, was, it became a collective effort, you know, with all, all of us throwing it in and... I mean, I don't know if I can cuss here, but we were like, yes. I don't know, are yes. we allowed to say snatch on TV, but we can't say cunt? And like, you know, why is Todd yeah. okay, but pussy isn't? And it was <laughs> like, these were the very serious conversations She that ended were going it gracefully on. with pussy footing. <laughs> oh, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> Had to get it in there somewhere. No, that's a good one. Um, but it was fun. You know, tool time is, is really a part of the show where we get to have a lot of fun. We get to call somebody out. And tool time? <laughs> yeah. I'm a, I'm a child that grew up watching Home Improvement. Yeah, that's an I excellent, stole that. excellent Tim Allen reference. <laughs> Tim the Toolman Taylor. I jacked that from Tim Allen. Hope he doesn't sue me. Um, so this is a segment. You pick a tool of the week or a tool uh, every of the day. day. A tool every of the day. Every day on the show, we give out a tool that time award. That is funny. There's that many tools running So who, who earned this tool award that spouted this, uh, this so rant about vaginas? This one was uh, state lawmakers, Republican state lawmakers in Michigan specifically, because it's just another one of those states where you see a lot of very restrictive anti-abortion legislation being brought up. And so there was a female lawmaker that decided to make her case uh, against this piece of legislation and then said, you know, I don't want you in my vagina. <laughs> and so then the speaker starts knocking and saying, you know, decorum must be held. So now she's barred from the next discussion because apparently the word vagina is a dirty word that you're not allowed to say in wow. front of reasonable adults. That is so telling. It's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And so this is why we went on this rant, because as usual, you have a lot of old men that want to legislate about, you know, my vagina and what I can do with it and my uterus and what I can do with my body. And yet you can't even use the word 
and it's not it's not a dirty word. Mm-mm. No, Mm-mm. it's pretty anatomical. Every, every woman has yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. they're and great. It, it, frankly, it's not that sexy of a word either. <laughs> we, know, mean, we know, we <laughs> know, <laughs> we know. <laughs> the cave. Uh, so, <laughs> okay, you prefer you prefer cave. The cave of dreams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I mean, mystery. It is mysterious, but it's not. That's not positive enough of a word for me. I would think wonder. And what did you use of dreams? Of is also dreams. very good. Dream. Definitely okay. dreams. <laughs> <laughs> But so, what what really got me going is I don't know if you guys saw it, but the night before, so there was this trending hashtag on Twitter that was vagina movie lines. No, I did not see that. I saw it. And um, <laughs> and I think that like Keith Olbermann played a role in, in helping get this going. And so by the time I was clued in, I just was cracking up because I was reading people and all of the famous movie lines that they used where you replace it with the word vagina, and ah. I had to take part. So do you have one? You have an example? Um, I had a couple. Uh, what did I do? Why? Well, I picked some of my favorite movies. So I had a Gladiator one that was, you know, vagina. Sometimes it makes the blade stick. Um, the little old <laughs> I'm school. Remember, I'm trying to remember what <laughs> so one. So good. I saw. Once it hit your uh, once, once it, it hit your yes, lips, that's the vagina. One. That's the one. That made me cringe. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. But uh, you know, but people were pulling out some some of the classics. So we're gonna need a bigger vagina. Ah, you know? and that's good. It was good. It was good. It was really fun. Word. So, <laughs> not to get serious again off of this phenomenal topic that we may have to revisit, but working at RT, yeah, are there any journalistic restrictions? Because RT is, if I'm not mistaken, funded by the Russian government. It is. It is funded by the Russian government. Right, so I mean, I'd be remiss if we didn't, ha- if we had you in the studio and uh-huh. I did not ask you this question. I'm sure you get asked this question a lot. I do get asked this question a lot, and uh, you know, I don't feel restricted in what I do at all, and that's what I actually love so much about my job is that we have. We have a small team. Um, I have, have, what, about six people on my team. And so it's a very organic process. We come in every morning. We send out our links. We all talk about the stories that we think are the most interesting, that are trending, that we have to cover, that are undercovered, mm-hmm. right? Because so much of what we do is criticize the mainstream media. And um, and we go from there. I mean, I will say, you know, I do focus more. I'm at RT America, and I focus more on domestic U.S. politics. And so I don't cover everything that's going on all over the world. But if it's... You know, a U.S. war, a U.S. arms deal, something that that I can take back and draw back to home, uh, then that's what I do. What kind of contact do you have with like the home offices in Moscow? The home offices? You mean to just Putin call me every morning? I say? mean, not necessarily. Yeah. <laughs> Is there like a red phone that rings? Or Talking like, points. I live on the Dubrovnik. So fascinating. <laughs> no, I I don't have any contact. I mean, I have I have a boss. Right. Uh, here at our DC bureau, who I guess is the one that you could say is in contact, uh, you know, with with Moscow, but nobody tells me what to do. Cool. So nobody puts baby in a corner. That's, 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 yeah. <laughs> nobody puts vagina in a corner. Yeah. I I'm happy you went there. Thank you. That's yeah. <laughs> what I do. So, what are your favorite stories to cover? I mean, you said you enjoy covering politics. Is there like a place that you like to go? I mean, is it is it special to go to the Senate? Is it special to go to the House? Is it special to go to the White House? What really moves you? Um, uh, well, you know, it's such an overly saturated market these days, right? There, everybody's is covering politics in one way or another, and so an election what, year as well, especially in an election year. And so, what I try to do is I try to stay out of some of the just the, the partisan, uh, you know, arguments and debates that you have that just make you want to shoot yourself in the head because they because they drive me so crazy. And so we try to rise above on my show. That's what I like to think of it. And, mm. uh, you know, and not just point fingers, not just do the Fox, MSNBC thing and say Republicans are the worst people on the planet. Democrats are the worst people on the planet. There are issues that should be, uh, you know, that affect all of us. There are issues that 
bring all of us together, that unite us, that we should be caring about. And so in my mind, if you just focus on partisan politics, it's a huge distraction technique from what we should all be caring about. And so that's why we go really big, for example, on civil liberties and the erosion of our civil liberties since uh, since 9-11. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to talk about the Patriot Act or if you I not that many people care because they think, oh, it's we're killing terrorists and they just buy the line. But I find it personally incredibly disturbing that you have a president who's decided that he can execute American citizens without any due process, without yeah. ever giving them a day in the court of law. And this is the guy that was the the constitutional law uh, scholar. scholar. Yeah, the professor. And it's, and it's so scary to me. And so these are the things that I rant about and I'm very passionate about, but sometimes I feel like it all just falls on deaf ears because it's not as fun. Right, it's not, it's as, not fun. as fun. It's not as sexy, uh, or sexy as I guess you know the yeah. word vagina in it's itself isn't sexy, but but, <laughs> but those are the things people like to click on and they like to talk about them because they're funny and uh, mm. and every day when I just want to sit there and say you know watch out because you have a president that is tearing the constitution into shreds. Yeah. Well, to be fair, he's only continuing to tear the Constitution into shreds. It's difficult for a president to give up power that he's been given, let's say, by a predecessor and by a Congress who was able to rubber stamp those types of policies. Yeah, but that, but this, this is a policy he's totally. Uh, George Bush wasn't executing people, uh, you know, with drones with a kill list. It was different. It was different. Well, the Patriot Act was George Bush's doing. No, the Patriot question. Act was George Bush's doing. I'm not. I'm not trying to like vindicate George Bush here. Uh, a lot of Sounds Obama's like policies have been an extension of the Bush administration's policies, but not only that, they've been an expansion. You know, and that's what's frustrating. And that's what uh, I think. That's why we need to have more of a debate about this kill versus capture thing too. What the Bush administration did is, sure, they just rounded a lot of people up. Some of them were bad guys. Some of them were just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And they threw them in CIA black site prisons or they threw them at Guantanamo Bay. And now you have uh, this situation where you have people that are deemed untriable because, yeah. uh, you know, we can't even bring them into a courtroom because we tortured them. And then that evidence becomes inadmissible that you supposedly got from the torture. Uh, and it, it's a huge problem. And it's become such a legal issue and such a burden for this president as well because he came in promising to close Guantanamo Bay and then he mm-hmm. couldn't do it. Yeah, that shit didn't um, Luckily, people don't seem to care. No. No one seems to remember. No one one seems seems to care. care. This unfortunately we come back to this. We come back to this point. Yeah, yeah. But but that's the thing. Like, so now he's just killing people, right? So that you don't have to deal with like the legal, the legal problems of what do you do once you capture them? Well, let's just let's just take them all out. I I I don't necessarily think that's a better idea. Yeah, I mean, not to throw out such a, a controversial idea and then switch the topic, but one can only imagine what a living Osama bin Laden would have to say. Let's say on a stand somewhere in a trial. And that w- apparently was something that the U.S. government was not willing to abide under any circumstances because he apparently, from what we've been told, is now at the bottom of an ocean somewhere. But Supposedly. Supposedly, right? Yeah, There's no yeah. evidence for that either. <laughs> it's, it's true. But that's what, you know, it's this, uh, the overclassification. Uh, everything has to be so secretive. And it's not just Osama bin Laden. It's Khalid Mohammed. It's all these other guys, right? They, they don't want any of them to be testifying because they don't want to give them a platform. Uh, but then at the same time, if you look at who was the, the underwear bomber, right? Umar mm. Farouk Abdul Matalab, if I got his name yeah. right. Yeah, and uh, woman. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you're here. <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of the time these guys get in the courtroom and then with uh, Abdul Matalab, for example, and then they just start going so crazy that it almost it makes them look worse. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. it, 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 I can't see how anybody would watch that and then have more respect for the character. Good point. Quite you know, quite the opposite. I just think that, you know, the more openness, the more transparency, the better, personally. Yeah. 
And uh, as, as beneficial as it would be to hold President Obama's feet to the fire, the opposition in this country is a, I mean, pardon my words, I'm not a newsman, so I can say this, the opposition is a complete and utter joke. I mean, Mitt Romney is going for the presidency, in my eyes, strictly for power and money and not for the good of the country at all. And everybody knows it, which is why no one thinks that he's genuine and everyone sees through the fake smiles and laughs that he puts forward every single day on his campaign. What are your thoughts on Mittens? <laughs> mittens. Uh, you know what? It, he's almost, he bothers me so much to the point where I almost don't really have any thoughts on him. <laughs> Just because I, I just the I worst insult of all. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even regard like, you, <laughs> and I'm a newswoman. <laughs> I could not possibly care less about Mitt Romney, uh, but it is scary, right? I think, I think it's going to be a very tight race, and so it is really scary that this guy might be the president. But yeah, people see right through him, of course. You know, he's completely plastic, and uh, and you know the flip flopping thing becomes easy to talk about in the media, but but it's true, right? Like you clearly don't have uh, any ideals that you do stand by, and um, and you know I disagree with his tax policies, obviously, uh, you know, with what we want to do with social programs, but at the end of the day, when you when you step away from that, it kind of freaks me out because he and Obama aren't. All that different, mm -hmm. you know. This is why he can't really go after Obama and his foreign policies because Republicans, or his domestic yeah. Republicans love Obama's foreign policy. They can try to say that he isn't being hard enough uh, or strong enough with Iran, but overall, they they agree. Uh, they agree with that stuff. But I don't know. I mean, you brought up the point that you you don't think that Mitt Romney wants to be the president for anything other than power. I think it's really hard for Americans these days to believe that anybody wants to be in any public service role for anything but power. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's kind of a dark time for us right now. And actually, I, I'm going to blame Chris Hayes for this one. He's coming on my show on Monday. And so I'm reading his book right now, which is Twilight of the Elites. And, mm. <laughs> and so it's all just very fresh in my mind as to how Go on. everything has failed us. You know, everything is crumbling around us in terms of the institutions that we've set up. And it's not just our government. It's everything from the Catholic Church to Major League Baseball and all of these things that we've uh, love for so many years, you suddenly just see the corruption in it. And, um, you know, and it's too bad, really. Our institutions. There's one institution. What? There's one institution. The city government, Washington, D.C. <laughs> oh, Solid as a rock. Oh, God. Don't even start with that one. Yeah. But, Solid but, as but a this, <laughs> this is why we have checks and balances, though, right? Is because power. Do we? Well, no, but th that's why they're supposed to be there, is because power naturally corrupts. Mm -hmm. And I think the founders got that. That's yep. why you create checks and balances. Um, and so you don't expect anybody to get into that position and be perfect. But these days, the checks and balances don't work anymore because it's just become too, it's become too lucrative to have them not work. Yeah. You know, mm. I mean, these days when you're a politician, you cash out after you've been in office. Uh, you know, there we, there's this revolving door that we talk about from lobbyists on K Street to yep. being on the Hill uh, to Wall Street and all the donations and what else, Should whatever someone... else out there lines your pocket. Some of them weren't making 180 when they when they before they got there, so so they got a pay raise. Some of these yeah. guys, yeah, and a lot of these lobbyists on K Street are more influential on legislation while they are lobbyists than they are when they're working in Congress because the lobbyists are writing the bills anyway. Yep. Not only are they lining the pockets of the reelection campaigns of the politicians, they're also doing their jobs for them. So it's it's a pretty interesting puppetry that's going on in this city that we live in. It's yeah, it's kind of scary. But yeah. so but that's that's the thing is um. It's, it's just it's the way that the system has now been set up. And I do think that money is a very corrupting influence. And so that's why we're seeing this this failure. And that's why we're seeing the, uh, so much distrust amongst the population when it comes to Congress, the Supreme Court, the president.
One, one thing I do think Obama is in it for, and I have to give him credit for this. I mean, we all know that he's a politician. And to expect anything different of Obama is to set yourself up for huge disappointment because he is a politician. He does want power. We all know that. Yeah, but the nation set them up. That's, but, but he also understands history and he understands his place in history. And that's one reason he's doing what he's doing. He wants to be on the right side of moving the United States of America away from the brink of disaster. That's what I think he's in it for. Not just power and money, but it matters to him to be the first black president. It matters to him to step away from America. That's a powerful move, though. It it is. And it it matters to him to move America away from this idea of exceptionalism and more to a pluralistic, multipolar world that we're already living in and have been living in. But under the George Bush administration, we seem to have blinders on and pushed forward in a way that was really destructive to ourselves and to the world. So Obama, by doing things like even in Hosni Mubarak's Egypt, to step into Cairo and to say, hey... This is a new America that's talking to you. Like, we're actually trying to move forward as a partner rather than just dictating to you what's going to happen, even though we do still give you a billion dollars in military aid every year. I mean, his stance, his posture is really important to me personally. And I think, obviously, Romney would be a huge step back. Some good points you got there. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, what do you think about that? Because it's important to be critical of Obama Uh because he's the president and any president has a lot of power. And that's our power that he's vested with. Yes. So we have to be critical of him. But do you give him credit in terms of why he's why he's there? Um, I I think you bring up some good points in the sense that, yeah, I this is why I prefer Obama's worldview when it comes to. yeah, he, he's changing this thing in terms of the American exceptionalism, and he's a little bit more of a realist, and it is a big deal that he's a black president, and I think that it's he does fundamentally want us to invest more in infrastructure and education, uh, you know, and to fix our healthcare system and try to move the country forward, not just let people rob it blind. Right. And so that that part, I, that. I, I, I give him I give him credit for, but it's it's still hard to have faith, you know, uh, just because there are so many campaign promises that do. Get broken, and I think that I mean I keep coming back to this only because I'm passionate about it. But I think that you know foreign policy is the one area where it's really not so much him, uh, where he was really highly influenced by the advisors and the people that were around him at least when he first came in. You know, and now he wants to sell himself as this uh, I take everything on my shoulders when I pick through my deck of cards and choose who to kill thing. Mm. Um, but some paranoia pushers <laughs> they have when they're advising. <laughs> but like you know Afghanistan, uh, he he shouldn't have done the troop surge. You could say that that was probably one of the biggest mistakes of this war, uh, because the only thing that we've seen from it is more death, more destruction, and there's still, there's no victorious end in sight, and that's a place where he got pigeonholed by his advisors, by his generals, and rather than listening to those that wanted to push for less, uh, you know, he, he went for more. And being pressured by the right in terms of being weak on foreign policy and military issues and having absolutely no military background of his own. Yeah. That puts you in a position so, so to that be part, Yeah, that part, I guess you could say, is is more understandable. But I do wish, you know, as much as I think that it's great that uh, he understands that we live in this globalized world and he's more of a realist, could just have a little bit more drive to go after Wall Street, you know, just show like a little more balls every now and then. <laughs> a little more they're, anger. Their children work for him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he does get a lot of donations from Wall Street, although they are heavily backing Romney, as you would expect. Yes. For this particular election. So maybe he doesn't have anything to lose for going after Wall Street. Do well, you... he, he still has, a, you know, a lot of money to lose. They're still, yeah. they, they, they put their, their money in both, uh, you know, both. They're too smart. Both to, piles, uh, that's for sure. Do you think that Obama should have been more closely aligned with the Occupy movement or would that have been a mistake? I don't really think he could have been. 
You know, I think that the Occupy movement doesn't want... You could have shown up, for example, at any one of them, any time. Yeah, I don't necessarily know if that would have been a good thing for him or if it would have worked for him, you know, because the, the thing about the Occupy movement, and I mean, clear, it's hard to talk about it as just the movement, as if they have one purpose and one goal because it has become so yeah. uh, spread out. And so now you have people doing very targeted um, campaigns like Occupy Our Homes and they want to focus on foreclosure. But the Occupy movement, I think, wants to reform the system mm-hmm. from the ground up. And so it's not just about finding the guy that is on the better side that's already in a position that's leading this broken system that we have, they actually want to fix it. And so Obama isn't the right vehicle to do, uh, you know, isn't the right person that's going to do that, I think, in their mind. But That's cer- my, my personal thoughts. Certainly they're probably <laughs> all going to, not all, but the vast majority of those people, if they're voting in the presidential election, will vote Obama's way. Yeah, yeah. I think, and I ask them I ask them this all the time, you know, every time I get a chance to interview an Did you spend some time at uh, McPherson Square? Um, A little bit, not not. A- not so much at McPherson's Square. Did not tents? sleep in the tent. Was it intense? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Well, well played. I came up with that joke that at Bonnaroo good. last you, weekend. Good, good job. For you. How was Bonnaroo? It was wonderful. We could talk about that in the next segment. <laughs> Damn it. Um, I'm jealous. I was at I was at the Netroots Nation conference. Really? Last weekend, and that was the first time I've been. How many What's, Twitter followers do you have? How many Twitter followers? I um I don't know, like seventy. 300 or something like that. Damn. Needs to be way more. That's pretty good. Way more, guys. Keep I like following. that. <laughs> Go on. Uh, well, actually, I was cracking up yesterday because I tweeted right before the show, you know, I'm about to say vagina like 100 <laughs> times on TV. And then I looked out and I like, immediately had like 10 new followers. Ah! I'm like, ah, it works every time. <laughs> every time. The woman's power <laughs> in real world and cyberspace. It's that's, the woman's choice. It's the way it's, that's pretty amazing. But uh, no, but you know, if Obama should have shown up anywhere, it should have been at the Netroots Nation conference because this is supposed to be like the biggest progressive gathering mm-hmm. and it's all about um, trying to get people engaged and teaching them about activism and using technology to do that. And... I don't know. It was really kind of sparse. Was it? I mean, there was a fun party scene. Don't get me wrong. Uh, it was <laughs> in Providence, which is a tiny town. And so that part was good because for networking purposes, I finally met a lot of people in person that I might interview all the time, but it's always remotely. And so it's always nice to like, hey, you're real. That's cool. You know, to see that. Uh, but if you actually walked around the conference, if you visited the panels, there just weren't that many people. And it felt like everyone just felt a little blase about it and a little disaffected. And like the anger is kind of gone like they don't have it in them anymore to just sit there and criticize Obama for many policies and you know I mean the whole thing started as a as a reaction to the war in Iraq mm-hmm. and so I was there was shockingly few panels on foreign policy and on civil liberties out of 70 of them there were like 3 you know and so it's just a a sign to you of how much it's really changed and how much they've shifted their focus but um but there was no like rah rah Obama stuff either. It was just everyone was just kind of milling about and like, oh, this is our lot in life, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like I think like grizzled veterans. <laughs> the last campaign seems so long ago. So much has happened. These so-called <laughs> the progressives stock market still are sucks. Like Nobody has any money. Yeah, the whole yeah. thing. <laughs> the economy's not any good. There's no good candidate to get fired up about. That's why we got to vote for change. Yeah, <laughs> no. which is what <laughs> I have no <laughs> exactly. Uh, that's what this. That's what that. Why yeah. the conference is so blasé? Nobody knows what the change it's is. It's so true. What a shitty time, huh? No, yeah. no, it's not a shitty time. I mean, there's a lot of good festivals going on. <laughs> you know, it's actually a, it's, it's a great time. I love life. I love that I live in a time when I have a smartphone that I can you know do everything with. But just overall, there's some bad. It's a good time artistically. Oh, I think mm-hmm. so. I think well, musically. I mean, for the stuff that we're listening to right now. 
it's it's just blowing up. This I mean, guy's have electronic music, house music, oh, yeah. electronic dubstep, all this stuff. Bass, global bass. It's just global like global bass. There's <laughs> this like bass that's coming from all over the world, and it's like just rebounding off of itself. Some bass is too much. Yeah. That you've that you that you've taken me to. We yeah. We went to a show at 9:30 Club with Excision, this Canadian dubstep DJ, and uh-huh. he brought, I think it was 150,000, either 100,000 or 150,000 watts of bass, Damn. like on tour. You felt your heart rattle. Yeah. And instead of having a ridiculous light show or Cirque du Soleil or something, they were like, no, we're gonna spend all the money on bass. <laughs> He's and like 22, like and 21. And you're gonna swim <laughs> in a wave pool of bass. Like you're never. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. That does sound kind of cool. Though. All right, tell me next time you do something like that. Yeah, we will. You could not hold on to the banister, like the metal banister, without actually having your hands hurt. Drop it. We feel you, so old when we go to these things. You feel old. I, I do. Leave me out of it. How old are you guys? Am I allowed I'm, to know? Am I allowed I'm, to know? I'm, 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 I'm 27. I'm 27. <laughs> I'm 28. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we I'm go- not telling you, but let's not talk about feeling old. We're fine. Okay, yeah. Well, I mean, when, I go, when, I go, when we go there, we feel old because it's like... We, again. There's, this, there's, some, there's some young high school kids running around. Is, I mean, are there high school kids? Yeah. There? In fact, our other Probably. buddy who's in the party crew, um, Martinez, <laughs> he was just at Starscape raging out with his shirt off, and he ran into four kids at the high school that he teaches at. Oh, my God. What How can awkward. You do? Well, Problem. That's funny because you're talking about bass, and it reminds me, like, I went through a really embarrassing raver phase when I was, like, 14. <laughs> I know, 14. And, no, I know. It's bad. And so I just remember being at these raves and, like, sitting in the speakers. Wow. Because I just wanted to like sit in the speakers. And, That's a uh, really take powerful image. That's awesome. <laughs> I wish you were wearing earplugs. It, but I'm sure that you were. Of course I wasn't. Of course I wasn't. You're listening to Madcap DC. Your hosts are David Ross and Daniel Bloom, and we're joined by special guests Alona Minkowski. In part two, we'll discuss Dan's trip to Bonnaroo, Alona's same-sex crush on Rihanna, and my disappointment in Lil Wayne's behavior at Drake's Bar Mitzvah. Dayenu, this is David Ross. Now for something completely different. Oh.